Hello and welcome to Awful Commentary. My name is Dominic Archer and my co-host, as always, is David Bryan. This is episode two of our discussion of The Mandalorian. Uh, part one from last week was mostly a discussion of the first season. In this one, we're going to really dive in to what happened in season two and the culmination of The Mandalorian and Groku's story. So leave us a like, uh, leave us a comment, all of that good stuff, and enjoy. Oh, and also spoilers. Lots and lots of spoilers. Moving on to, to season two, then. Season one has set up that there is a father and son relationship between them, right? We know by the end, I think even the, the Mandalorian armorer, well, she refers to them as a clan of two, but also refers to him kind of as being his son in that final episode, I think. I might be misremembering that a little bit, but... He's been given a mission at the end of, of season one, which the armorer says he's in your clan, he's in your care, he's your child, essentially, until you can return him to the Jedi, to his own kind, because he's, you know, he's a force wielder, he's got all these crazy abilities, <laughs> and until he can be turned over to someone who can properly protect him and care for him and train him, he is the Mandalorian's responsibility um, in that way. So we start season two with a clear mission. Right, we've got we've got Baby Yoda. We've got to find a Jedi. Go find a Jedi. Is basically the the yeah. entire story arc for season two. But what's kind of interesting here is we start already with their relationship established. There's no point where they have like a falling out and Baby Yoda's like, "You're not my dad anymore," or <laughs> you know, where Baby Yoda does something because you can't really do that with a puppet and a man where you can't see his face to keep that that theme going. Where, in comparison to Real Steel and other Road to Perdition and other father and son relationships we've spoken about before, there's always a time where the father and son relationship itself becomes strained and they have to overcome the hurdle of their own relationship. But we don't get that with the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. Instead, we start, you know, the, the second series with they're together, they're a team, um, you know, they, they clearly love each other. And have like a strong. I think it's fair to say that they they love each other at this point. Um, you know they're they're willing to do anything it takes to protect each other at least. Um, and then we're we're introduced to their quest to try and find the Jedi, through which the Mandalorian has to find more Mandalorians. I always thought that was a bit of a a weird roundabout way of finding the Jedi. It's, oh, I've got to find these Jedi. But to find them, I have to find more Mandalorians. I guess there are less you... Jedi than there are Mandalorians. <laughs> so it's like, it's pledging his bets, maybe a little. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he could have just gone and read a newspaper and been like, uh, oh, that Luke Skywalker guy sounds famous. <laughs> um... Because he's a pretty well-known figure with yeah, throughout a, the galaxy. It's a good point. Like, who are there records? It's like the Battle well, of Endor and shit. Like, is you could go to yeah. like some space library and go, what happened at the Battle of Endor? Yeah, <laughs> and then it pops up going Jedi, and then see what comes yeah, up. Yeah, war war hero Han Solo and Princess of Alderaan, Leia Organa, and all that stuff. They yeah. kind of have basically freed the whole galaxy. Yeah, I, that is a, a problem within the logic of it all to me. A little bit. I'm willing to kind of let it go. But by the time we get to Force Awakens, 
Rey and Finn and everyone are like, oh, the story of the Jedi and Luke Skywalker is this mythological thing that everybody knows. Even this weird girl on a dust planet knows about the stories of, uh, of Luke Skywalker and her only friend is Sand. So <laughs> clearly these stories are pretty well known. Um, but the Mandalorian knows nothing about it and neither does anybody else, including Cara Dune, Gina Carano, who is like a rebel shock trooper and uh, was from Alderaan. And so she knows who Princess Leia is and she fought in the rebellion. So there's probably a decent chance. She was at the Battle of Endor, I think they say at one point. Although she says about after the Battle of Endor, so maybe she wasn't actually there. But she knows, going to know who, you know. I think people know who Luke Skywalker is. Especially like rebel soldiers during the rebellion are gonna know he fucking blew up the death star yeah he's a right? general rebels right? are gonna know isn't he a yeah, general well, by the end by return of the jedi i don't think he han solo's a general but luke skywalker is just luke skywalker he's too busy bitching around with learning yeah stuff waving and... his glow stick and yeah yeah doing all this stuff but it's kind of crazy that when they're like oh you've got to look for a jedi gina carano doesn't say let me call up my old commanding officer who's still within the Rebellion or the New Republic because they might have a contact with the most famous man in the galaxy. Um, like, instead it's, oh, I've got to find these other people because nobody knows shit in this, in this world. It's kind of strange. That's but I'm point, willing yeah. to... I'm kind of willing to get over that. Like, they even go to Tatooine. I mean, you know, but I'm, again, I, I will well, They make a lot that. of uh, references to the fact that they're on the outer rim like sort of out of the reach of the new sort of on the edges of the reach of the new republic and that's why yeah, you only ever see yeah. two x-wings because they're, they're probably the two beat cops who've been yeah, tasked yeah. with the outer rim and the, all the real shit's happening in the central planets yeah yeah that's definitely true but like you just a little bit of conversation would have solved a lot of plot problems in this Right, where it could have been like you could have had a bit where it's like, oh, there is a there is one war hero, right? This is how they could have set up the finale, right? Because this is part of the problem with the Luke Skywalker cameo at the end of the season. I'm doing it again. You're about to do it. In. You're about to fix the Mandalorian. They're probably <laughs> here, at least here, fixing here everything you've ever needed, you've ever tried to fix. But you're yes. probably still going to improve, yeah. it, aren't you? Go for it. Okay, so the problem with Luke Skywalker showing up at the end of the final episode is that he comes in as a deus ex machina, right? Yeah. We've never, within the TV show, we've never seen Luke Skywalker. No one has ever said his name. There's been no reference to his actions or to there being a revived Jedi Order at all, right? The only Jedi we've seen at, at this point has been Ahsoka. So it would make more sense in the terms of the story for Ahsoka to arrive at the end in her ship and be like, I got your distress call. The ship's going to self-destruct or there's there's too many dark troopers coming. Um, we've got to get you out of here and I can hold them off until you can get out of here. But wasn't the whole right? thing like that, that the whole reason Luke shows up is that ah ah Ahsoka says, go to Tython, sit on the seeing stone. Yes. And he he's, he does this. this do beam, your, do your own meditation yeah. stuff. Yes. And then yes. a Jedi out there will pick her up and come looking for yes. him. So Maybe, it would yes. it would be weird for Ahsoka to be like, oh, I can sense someone sitting on the scene stone. I'm going to go and see what it is because she knows who it is. And she's like, I'm not yes. getting involved in that shit. Yeah, well, that's their excuse for why Luke Skywalker is there. But I don't think it's a good one because... 
it's only Luke Skywalker because we know who Luke Skywalker is. Yeah. Right? There is there is no attempt within the show to establish that this is an important person, right? What there should have been earlier in the season is Cara Dune has a moment where they're like, oh, we have to put you in touch with the Jedi. And Cara Dune has that moment where she goes, I might know somebody, but they're pretty fucking busy at the moment, right? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, fight, they're still fighting the Empire. They're trying to establish the New Republic. You know, Luke Skywalker is trying to pick up the, the the remnants from, you know, his father's just died. He's just killed the Emperor. He doesn't have time to jump across the galaxy and go and pick up a baby, right? Like, Luke Skywalker's got shit to do. And what they really should have done is establish more. There's, there's one Jedi in the galaxy that I know of, and it's Luke Skywalker, right? He's the war hero. He's the most famous guy in, in the galaxy. But you can't just fly to Coruscant and go and see Luke Skywalker, right? You can't just turn up and go, oh, hi, I've got a baby, and I think he, I need to give it to this guy. Well, this, uh, this show could... can't do that, but I don't know why... Well, they, because the, the he characters can't, couldn't he have can't, thought of that. No, but they, well, they can't just turn up on Coruscant and go, we have a baby, I think I should get, you know. Now, let's give it... It'd be like you turning around and going, oh, this is the, the, the lost child of Barack Obama. Now, why don't I go and find Barack Obama and return his child to Yeah, but going to Coruscant being to find Luke Skywalker is right? like going to the White House in 2020 to find Barack Obama. He's not going to be there. Not, not, he was not, there once. Not the, not the White there. House. I mean, just in general. Because Barack Obama's I mean. like, doing his own thing. You know? What is the Jedi presence on Coruscant now? Didn't the temple get well, destroyed at one... Order 66? And there's not been one throughout the... Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, the... yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah there's only so one who knows Luke where Luke Skywalker is? Yeah, exactly, right? But if they had established, look, we, we know one guy, but how do we get to him? Right? Then when he shows up at the end, because Groku has done his thing, it's like, oh, great. You know, that they, the Force brought them together anyway. You know, the galaxy tried to keep them apart, but the Force brought them together. Mm. But instead, it's like, uh, oh yeah. It's, it's a Luke bit Skywalker. like, this is a bit like our discussion of Man of Steel. And mm-hmm. when I said that at the end of Man of Steel, when Superman snaps General Zod's neck it, and mm-hmm. he cry, like he screams and cries, that re- I found that really affecting. But we, as we dissected, the only reason that works on me is because I know the Superman law. But if you, yes. if you're making a movie or a, a TV show, you need to, you, to a certain degree, you need to make it for people who maybe have never seen anything from that property before. So with the Mandalorian, if someone had never seen a Star Wars thing before, and this was their introduction into Star Wars, they have no idea who Luke Skywalker is because, as you've just said, nobody took the time to explain who he was probably just yeah. so they could pay it off as a big surprise at the end. Then yeah, when he yeah. shows up and he's lightsabering shit, the person sat watching The Mandalorian, who's never seen it before, maybe next to their partner or their friend who has seen Star Wars before, goes, who the fuck, who, what's that then? What's that green glowy thing? This guy's, where's yeah. he been this whole time? And then yes, he shows yes. up and he's like, why is his face CGI? And does he, does anyone even say his name in that final scene? I, I, no. I, don't, I don't remember. Don't. So no. it means absolutely nothing to anybody to, to uh, sorry, it only means something to people who know anything about Star Wars, which is a flaw, I suppose, like objectively. You could have even had a moment where he goes up to Gina Carano and goes, Thank yeah. you for, yeah, and it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, you mission accomplished, yes. like that. 
Because the right. teardrop thing. Have... In, is it in that episode, the beginning of that episode, where they capture that doctor guy? It's yes. one of the, the Imperial pilots makes a thing about mm-hmm. her rebel teardrop. Yeah, her rebel teardrop, yeah, because it's connected to Alderaan, right? Yeah, exactly. So Luke could have done that. Yeah. If we had a moment there where Luke Skywalker is like, I got your message to her, or is like, yeah, you did exactly what we asked you to do. Something that, that proves, like, Gina Carano was tasked with protecting the baby or retrieving the baby or something like that that, that goes so we draw on their connection and Luke oh, like Skywalker a secret mission thing that no one else knew yes about. oh yes. cool yeah, yeah and yeah. yeah and then Luke's and Luke Skywalker or it's like Luke Skywalker says like um uh I yeah says I got your distress signal or something like that um you know those that old rebel code and it just turns out that they send something out because the Mandalorian's thinking, oh, those two X-Wing pilots who have been flying around the Outer Rim and we keep bumping into, they might be nearby. So I call for backup. But then when the X-Wings appear, it's not the two guys from before. We're like, oh my God, the X-Wings, the backup's here. But Luke Skywalker gets off. And we're like, oh shit, that's not who we expected. It's the twist. And the distress signal went out to Luke Skywalker rather than the other two because the force was bringing him towards Baby Yoda. Right? That's how, that's how you do it. That's how you do uh, uh, Where's the mic? He's, he's a mic to drop. <laughs> I, I threw a pen instead. John Favreau, if you're listening. Well done on the whole... A couple of notes. Yeah, okay, a couple saying. of notes, John. I feel like this... this put an H in there. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have to put an H in anything. No, no, no. To. John, John with, with no H is an awesome name. Yeah, Plus he's okay. also... He's got, two, he's got a couple of too many H's and Happy Hogan. He's got all the H's in there. <laughs> he's made up. He's made up with the he's H's. He's made up for it. Yeah. 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 But anyway, this is kind of... This maybe should have been at the beginning of the podcast in the let's nerd out about <laughs> it section. Um, not so much in the let's delve into the father and son stuff. Well, this is true, but I think it it kind of allows us to to go through uh, through other parts of the episode as well because we've we've spoken a lot about the how the show ends up in the finale. But throughout season two, we, their relationship doesn't change very much. Um, their relationship is kind of influenced by the. Th- by the world around them, the actions that other take, other people take, which is again that kind of third person uh, relationship that I was talking about earlier on. I think a great example is um, uh, chapter 10, The Passenger, which is the ice planet with the the frog lady. And Baby Yoda keeps eating the eggs. And he's so cheeky, fr- isn't he? So cheeky. He is. So he's such a naughty boy. But the, I think that's a really great example of what we're talking about on this podcast because it's an episode all about parenthood and this mother trying to to take her eggs um, to be fertilized with her husband. She's a frog lady, and <laughs> yeah, just throwing that out there. Um, and the Mandalorian is tasked with getting her to her husband so that they can fertilize the eggs and, and have these children. But Baby Yoda, being the cheeky little boy that he is, keeps eating these these eggs, and it's kind of horrifying because she says, you know, if um, if I lose my eggs, then you know I'll never be able to have children. This is my last chance to to have children here. Um, and Baby Yoda keeps eating her children, but they're Which, not fertilized at this point. 
they're so not. That's why I had to keep pointing out to my girlfriend. She's that they're just at the moment they're just eggs. But then also, she doesn't seem to like if that if I was the frog lady, I would know exactly how many eggs are in that that incubator and the bit where she finds like a, a hot spring and she's having a bath with all of her eggs. At that point, I would have been like, um, there's there's some eggs missing. I know exactly yeah, how many yeah. eggs I popped out. I've been cradling yeah. them in this incubator for however long. I think I would notice the fact that three or four or five, however many he's managed to get, have been eaten. But, you know, yes. maybe that's by, by the by. Maybe she's, there are so many that <laughs> doesn't yeah. matter too much. Yeah, I think it was a great, um, some great moments within that episode where the Mandalorian himself keeps catching Baby Yoda trying to eat these eggs, right? And we do get that um, father and child moment where he's like, no, don't, don't, bad, bad boy, you know, bad baby, stop. Yeah. Uh, he actually has to father him within this episode, which is different to before where he's just protecting him. Here he actually has to um, do some parenting, and I think it's a really nice episode for them. Yeah, it's a perfect episode to do it, as you say, because... The character you said before about how we show the growth between uh, Mando and and Grogu is through the third character or a, an extra character mm. who's around them. This is a perfect example of a third character doing that because she is a parent. She's protecting her offspring, and yeah, you know, this is the time when, like you say, Mando is doing the same. Great, like, like yeah. reflection. Yes, yeah, and that is what allows them to, to build a relationship and a connection between each other when they can't even speak the same language, but they both understand their need to protect their children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great episode. I think, again, they could have just tweaked the bit to when Baby Yoda keeps trying to eat the eggs and he even puts one in his mouth and the Mandalorian goes, no, 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 and just, like, turns him upside down and the egg drops out. Like, I don't <laughs> think I don't think Baby Yoda actually had to eat the eggs because it was a heartbreaking kind of horrible moment when he does. But he could have just kept almost doing it and then, um, like, uh, he could have burped, you know, like you would burp a baby. The yeah. Mandalorian could pick him up and burp him, and then he just up, throws the egg back into the. You know that would have been fine, also, but that's just a small, a small thing. I think it's a great, it's a great episode with the horrible ice spiders as well. Yeah, yeah, I loved it yeah. when they were running away from the the ice spiders, and then suddenly the frog lady goes into an all fours run. I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. Yeah. Go go go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It looks great. Lots of awesome moments in that bit. A great use of flamethrowers as well. One thing the Mandalorian is very good for is the use of flamethrowers. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, which is the the world's most awesome looking and yet most horrific weapon ever invented, I think, is the flamethrower. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, wow, that's a great movie prop. And you're like, thank God I will never meet one of those ever in my life. Because it's... Uh, <laughs> Terrible, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I saw the end of it once at a time in Hollywood and... Yeah. yeah, the kind of realities of what that does to a person is kind of horrific. Yes, yeah. So great in movies, great for fighting ice spiders. Um, yeah. Not so great, yeah, when you actually, when they're, when they're realistic. The, the next episode, uh, chapter 11, the heiress, which is when we meet Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorians. Uh, we can skip over most of that episode, I think, but there's a great bit in that um, where with the fish lady again where the fish lady's eggs hatch frog lady and Come the, on. sorry the frog lady the frog lady yes <laughs> racist um it's because i was just i was just reading the word fisherman oh yeah, uh, yeah it's the fisherman uh, in the chapter yeah yeah in the in the chapter there's a big fishing boat um but her eggs hatch and the babies are born and 
Groku gets to see the children as they, yeah. you know, they've, they've been fertilised. Like tadpoles or whatever. And he makes no attempt to eat them then. Like he sees life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was a really beautiful... Because there's even a bit in the previous episode where he's with the eggs and they're kind of drawn towards him through the force. Mm. And I was like... I mean, he's like force pulling them towards him. I thought, oh, is this some nice commentary on life and, you know, the force itself? But no, he just keeps eating them. Because he's a <laughs> cheeky little boy. He's so cheeky. Um, yeah. But then within that that next episode, he does get that moment with life. And that, yeah, it's a really, a really great moment, I think. Um then I think that the next episode really of note, I would guess, is the one where we meet Ahsoka. Yeah, because and... the only episode in between that one is where um, it basically has to stop on Navarro again with Carl Weathers and Gina Carano to get a ship repaired. And they go on a side mission and they find that lab where they've been what they've been doing with um, Baby Yoda's blood and it's all clone vats and shit. And then they blow it up and then off they go. But that episode was directed by Carl Weathers. So I guess that's the only notable. Yeah thing yeah but yeah then then next one is yeah it was an exciting episode it is it is and directed by Dave Filoni written by Dave Filoni because Ahsoka is his baby really of course um yeah yeah. and just a quick a quick note of the evolution of that character again starting off within the animated movie Clone Wars I think um, and then the TV series has gone from being you know the audiences have watched her from being a Padawan during the Clone Wars, up until now, where she's this lone warrior, you know, wise sage herself. A hell of a character arc that are really fulfilling. And they're saying she's going to get a TV series of her own. We'll, we'll see if that, uh, if that happens or not. Um, but a great episode because uh, we finally have a character who can interact with Grogu. Even more than the Mandalorian himself can. Like... As we said, they uh, there's always the need for a, an intermediary between them That's the and between every yeah the, between um, however Grogu and the Mandalorian uh, well try and do anything, but with Ahsoka, she can just basically talk to him like all like tell they can he, she can see his you know, kind yeah, of it's not like they, they, they don't get the sense that they, they're speaking but just that she yeah. understands him kind mm. of on yeah on a on a, in a subtextual way yeah and she get, gets yeah. his name out of somewhere plucks that out of her ass <laughs> i think it was out of his head but oh, was, okay rather but, but yes yeah yeah i think that's the the actual story of the episode is not over overly important um, to this conversation, Other no, it's than not. It's, pretty it's cool. another. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I do apologize. That's okay. It's yeah. It's just, it's another saving a village episode, with uh, punctuated by a Jedi and, um, yeah, the the Thrawn uh, references and Michael Bane from the Terminator playing a mercenary yeah. and the spear, the Beskar spear that um, he gets at the end. Yes, yeah, it's just yeah, it's just keeping the story building and, and, and doing more things. I think this is an important episode and the use of Ahsoka is good in this episode because it does fulfil part of that story need. Um, it builds on his story of finding a Jedi and with Ahsoka refusing to train him, it, uh, it says a lot about... And I wish that the character could have gone a bit further with that as well in terms of... Uh, he's too old at this point. 
or you know he's been too long without and it, i really wish there had been a moment where they said he keeps doing dark side shit like he keeps choking people and he you know, this is baby yoda like he keeps like doing not evil things with the force but i was waiting for him to like some lightning to crackle between his little fingers or something you know um because they keep showing this pull between uh, him being an innocent cute little naughty boy but then also just like choking motherfuckers um <laughs> and uh i kind of wish they could have gone further down that path of he shouldn't be trained because at this point um it's like training Anakin Skywalker. You know, the mistake was they decided to train Anakin Skywalker and look what he became. Yeah. And at this point, you know, Baby Yoda's 50 years old and he's choking motherfuckers already. And if we keep going down this path with him, we don't know if he will end up being Yoda, you know, the Yoda that we remember and we love. Or if, you know, his time with the Mandalorian being hunted and killing people and seeing people burnt alive and all of this stuff is, you know, is going to have a negative impact on him and what he becomes maybe that's something they'll get into in in future episodes but uh, i really liked that concept that it wasn't as clear-cut as find a jedi and he will become a jedi there was it was more complicated and more com- and twisted than that yeah i guess it would be complicated by his species and how long they live and that he can be over 50 years old and essentially still be a baby and have and had what Ahsoka says he's, he's had decades of training or years of training or something, and yet he's still very unrefined, and still yeah, a baby. Because Yoda was like eight hundred years old or whatever when he died, so mm. that journey of training probably takes a lot longer if their intellectual maturity is much slower. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, really nice to see. Uh, Again, she tries to train to train him in a limited way, but he won't do it. With and it's rock, only yeah. when the Mandal yeah, it's when the Mandalorian himself steps in, um, because of their relationship and their connection, that um, yeah, Grogu will will do what he says because it's it's his dad, and yeah. uh, and they have he, the, the MacGuffin has... of the little the ball from the geared stick. There you go. It's back. That third party, you know, instrument of their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a really great moment there, which shows that although uh, Baby Yoda can communicate with another Jedi, um, you know, it's his dad. And he, you know, he listens to his dad and they, they love each other and care for each other. And the pride that the Mandalorian takes in his son moving the rock as well, when he does it, and he's like, oh my God, it's like he's just caught his first ball Baseball, or something. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a great moment. He's like, yeah, that's my boy. That's my boy. Like the pride he feels in that is is yeah. great, really great. Okay. Uh, the next episode is the tragedy, which is where we get reintroduced to Boba Fett and Ming Na Wen is back. Pow, pow, yeah, pow. yeah, love love me some Ming Na Wen, and this is also where we lose um, Baby Yoda for a couple of episodes. Yeah, that I mean, what a tragedy. I think. Um, we were me and my girlfriend were neither was kind of expecting it to go that way, and it and it's a the whole episode is basically a fight, it's like a a standoff trying to keep Baby Yoda safe from from the Imperial guys that are chasing after them, uh, chasing after them like sort of coming to take Yoda, 
and when it ends and he gets taken we're like no no but you can't you can't take him no (laughs) we got very invested in that episode (laughs) it does excuse me it does do a pretty good job of of um that desperation that he feels we don't see that much of the relationship here other than the mandalorian trying again and again to push through that barrier and get to like he's being protected by the force but he's so the mandalorian so desperate to to get him and to look after him that he's like even though he knows it keeps repelling him he fights and fights and fights to try and uh, to try and get to his his son and get him out of there uh, which is yeah a nice moment i think yeah it is but then it kind of was frustrating me it's like you know you can't do this like be more proactive do something helpful go help Ming-Na Wen and Boba Fett or something yeah but no, yeah there were a few he's relentless yeah there are a few elements within that episode that i find incredibly frustrating um the first one is the this the general conceit that baby Yoda is at the top of the hill and they're at the bottom of the hill and like the grand old Duke of York they just have to keep going up and down this fucking hill yeah and uh, for some reason he took his jetpack off and he's not going to put the jetpack back on yeah um, it was, it's, it was, it's just stupid like the, uh, Boba Fett says oh yeah well I'll trade with you oh, no, I'll make an agreement with you if you take your jetpack off um, and it's like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, why not say, if you take your wrist blasters off so you can't just flamethrower me and, you know, turn me into Boba barbecue? Yeah, it was just but like they, they, they worked backwards and saw do, saw the battle sequence and were like, yeah. ah, this is going to be too easy. He's going to get to the... He can just jetpack up to the top of the hill. And they're like, well, yes. then we need to get rid of his jetpack. And instead of yeah. coming and up with something more... How do we get ex- rid of the jetpack? Exactly, and it yeah. could have been more of yeah. an exciting way that he loses it but instead they just takes it off because he has asked, yeah. somebody asked him to yeah yeah, yeah. i didn't i didn't you like that have, so much either no you could have had a whole section reworking that episode where the stormtrooper ships are deploying around the hill right rather than all landing in the same spot the the stormtrooper ships are that landing really, around like the, car the hill. park they just line up next to each other don't they Yeah, because that's how space works. (laughs) Anyway. So then they're coming up from different sides of the hill, right? And it's like, um, uh, Boba Fett's like, I've got these guys. You go and take care of it, right? And then they become so spread out that even though he wants to get to Baby Yoda, he can't because there's just too much going on, right? And it's Ming-Na Wen Pursula, I'm being overrun here. Like, I need some backup, so he jetpacks down to help her. But then, you know, he's. Then you get a moment where he's flying after the dark troopers, or even the dark troopers come down, and he gets there. And then, as we see in the final episode, he tries to fight the dark troopers, but they just fucking. They are terrified. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're, they're, like, they can't be taken down. Um, it takes, like, him and Boba Fett and Ming-Na Wen teaming up just to take down one of them, maybe, and then the others, like, escape with with um, with, uh, with Grogu. And then we establish that these things are f- fucking terrifying anyway. Um, but instead, it's just like, oh, he wasn't at the hill. So they got the baby, and and, uh, and that was it. Yeah, there's a, a um, weird... There's a point where he does keep relentlessly trying to... Uh, this is the Mandalorian, I mean. keeps trying to relentlessly get through that barrier... 
and he does it two or three times and on the last time the barrier pushes him back so much that he gets knocked out yeah. just just so that he can't really be involved in the next two or three minutes because if he was awake he could have just gone and helped or been in the right place at the right time or whatever again it was another kind of gent like real soft conceit of just trying to get him out of the way how can we get him out of the way let's just say the barrier knocks him out yeah 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 it, it's like um oh we've got boba fett in this episode so we need to make sure we're doing we're showing off as much boba fett as we can rather than um how is boba fett going to service the story of this episode and i think tamara morrison does a really great job he's tamara morrison you know he's an awesome actor and he's you know he's great in everything and i think the character is is well written and and acts correctly for the way that he should act um but yeah writing wise it's um yeah as you said it's an episode that's working backwards too we know that the baby needs to be taken and we know that uh, we can't just have the Mandalorian there. So how do we, you know, well, why shouldn't the Mandalorian be there? Have him be beaten. Yeah. Right. Like it's fine if he loses. We don't. We like a character that tries. We a character doesn't have to succeed for us to like them. Yeah. And, and I guess um, the idea that you had of having him and Boba Fett and Ming-Na Wei in a fight, one of the dark troopers or whatever, and it takes all of them to maybe stop or even slow one down. That would have been better, but maybe they wanted to save that for later on, where we see how how it how tough they are and how difficult yeah. how long it takes the Mando just to just to take out one of them on his own. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think, think that uh, would yeah something about like what I was saying about the first season where there were episodes in the middle that seemed like it didn't serve much story purpose; they were just there as kind of like filler. This is maybe the one that is most like that in season two, but it didn't bother me because it was engaging. And I guess because it's a lot of action, a lot of fighting, and the stakes do get keep getting ramped up. Like one ship of stormtroopers, okay, now another ship of stormtroopers, okay, now the Razor Crest gets blown up, and okay, now dark troopers are here, and it does just keep ramping up. And I guess it kind of distracted me from from maybe some lapses in in the storytelling. Mm. But but yeah, yeah. I still I still feel like this second season was a pretty solid. Success yeah, throughout. it's still it's still a fun episode. Yeah, it's just yeah. that it's yeah it's got those little storytelling slip ups that that don't work perfectly. Um, the next episode, Bill Burr's back, Wait. and uh, yeah, he does some some cool stuff. He gets that scene where uh, he gets to prove that he's not all that bad a guy. Um, he may be, you know, he may mouth off a bit and he may be a bit cheeky, but he's not a real imperial. You know, he's not a fascist. Um, he left the Empire because of the way they treated their men and were willing to murder their own people for for victory. And now he gets he gets his little revenge and um, uh, he learns to respect the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian learns to respect him. And it's you know a buddy. It's a buddy episode. There was one thing about the the Mandalorian that I saw the other day on Twitter. I think um, I may have mentioned to, the, to uh, this to you already. Which is, you can describe the Mandalorian as a protagonist who can't stop making best friends. And I think this is an episode that proves that. Every episode, the Mandalorian goes and he's like, oh, I don't have anybody. I'm just a lone warrior wandering through the world. And every episode, he makes a best friend. Yeah, that's and, a good point, uh, actually. Someone that people yeah. can always go back to. Even like the, the mechanic lady on Tatooine with the pit droids. 
Does he, yeah. There's people that he can yeah, rely each, on when he each, needs them. Yeah, each episode has a best friend. Somebody loves him by the end of the episode. And this is the one where, you know, he, he him and Bill Burr, like, I can see an episode in a future season where him and Bill Burr team up to do something again. You could, yeah. but I wonder if the the child is the only reason that works, because you, mm-hmm. like you say, he is always on his own. He has no people, and yet it seems amusing that he seems to make friends or allies everywhere he goes. But every single time he goes back to one of his previous side characters and asks for help, that more, more often than not they go, eh, nah, and then he goes, they took the child or whatever, and they go, oh, okay, now we're in, and that's yeah, it seems that that's the the catalyst for his uh his um perpetual friend making yeah yeah because everyone loves baby yoda everyone loves baby yoda yeah yeah you you half expect bogotan to stand up and go like baby yoda okay we're in (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i wasn't gonna help you but now baby yoda yeah and then by the end of it bffs Mm. as fby's for baby yoda's uh, equals BBFs. That's the mathematical calculation of the Mandalorian. That seems yeah. sound to me, yeah. Yeah. But that's all we really need to say for that episode because um, the the Empire have got Baby Yoda. They want to take his blood, clone him, or they, they keep mentioning his M count, which I'm guessing is his midichlorian count. Yeah. Again, throwing in prequel stuff in a way that seems to work. They don't say the word midichlorian because uh, people would riot on the internet. Yeah. But by saying <laughs> M count, they're able to keep it, you know, we all know, but it feels like a nice reference rather than a, um, rather than anything else. So I assume they're cloning the emperor at this point. I don't know what you think. Um, uh, that never occurred to me. Because they're, they're doing this big cloning thing. And when we see the clones, it's like actual people. Yeah, right? they're not more Yodas, yeah. They're not they're not Yodas. And they need someone with a very high midichlorian count in order to give them the, the necessary force abilities. So my assumption is that this is them trying to resurrect the Emperor by oh. giving you know, by cloning his body and then injecting the midichlorians back into his system like that. So when you when the Emperor reappears in um the last oh crap, I can't even remember what the uh, the new trilogy movies are called. Force Awakens, The uh, Last Jedi the shit one. The, oh, sorry, that was Force Awakens. Uh, the worst one. No, that was The Last Jedi. The worst one. That's episode nine. The worst one. The worst one. The worst one according to Dom. Episode Rise of nine. Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Thank you. Yes. So when the Emperor, Emperor re- re-emerges in Rise of Skywalker, you're putting, the, you're putting those two things together saying that he didn't survive um, Return of the Jedi. They've just cloned him, resurrected him, and that's why he's there with his spooky fucking arena full of siths in the rise of skywalker yeah and we see there's that there's the clone of um snoke as well you know he's got snokes in tanks in that episode snokes uh, in at tanks. the beginning yeah the beginning of that of of rise of skywalker kylo ren goes to that planet and there's snokes in tanks yeah 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 and so maybe maybe baby yoda's being used to create snokes um, and that's why Snoke is like a corrupted, you know. Fight. Oh, but again, that's them working backwards because they fucked up those J.J. Abrams movies, and now they have to, you know, how can we justify all of that bullshit? Oh well, there was, you know, I don't think that Baby Yoda is excusing all of that. Um, 
but this is now them supporting those future movies to try and make them make more sense. Um, just just yeah, for balance, so. again, I will interject by saying I like the J.J. Abrams Star Wars movies. Oh, we're coming back to that. Are there any <laughs> father and son relationships? There is Kylo Ren Han Solo. Kylo Ren and Han Solo, yeah. Well, I'm doing a dance, because that means yeah. I can ruin those movies for you too. Yeah. Dom's mission is to just to ruin all the things that I love. and um, Only he's... the shit stuff. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's shit. I like it. I still like That's Man of Steel, fair. so up yours. Oh, oh. well, we, 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 oh, that was one thing. Uh, I don't think we really need to get into it. But the Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, Man of Steel without Clark Kent in it movie. Uh, what's it called? Um, let, let Him, him go. go. Yeah, yeah. Let Him Go. I'm so down for that. It's just the Man of Steel, but Clark Kent's dead. And Lois Lane and Clark Kent's son is gone off with somebody else. And how are the Kents going to get him back? I'm down. All if I anyone doesn't do know what is... Dom's talking about, go look for the trailer for a film called Let It Go with Diane Lane and Kevin Costner and you'll be up to speed with what we're talking about. <laughs> because it's it's fucking Superman's parents from Man of Steel. It's them as a husband and wife whose son has died. And like I'm like, that's you know, it's Man of Steel, but Superman's Superman's dead. Is this like another do you reckon this is another attempt at doing the whole this is Superman's story, but what if it went slightly differently, but we're not allowed to say anything Superman-y? Like, um, what's it called? Is it Bright something? Brightburn. Where, what's it called? Brightburn, yeah. Brightburn, I think. Brightburn, yeah, Brightburn. yeah. Where, yeah. Yeah, some, yeah, basically it's the Superman story, but Clark Kent turns out to be an evil kid who murders people or something. I can't remember. I didn't see yeah. it, but people said it wasn't good, so that's why I didn't bother. Um, but well, I was I mean, going to say... This one is based off of a book. And then, like, it's, yeah, a, yeah, like a, a, it's a, a famous book, but then these actors have, you know, and have decided to, to make it. But it's just a great coincidence to me. And yeah. I'm willing to go to this movie and redo the subtitles so that they are the Kent family. <laughs> and the son's name was Clark. And the, the you know, it's Lewis is the, uh, is the wife. And yeah, I'm down. I'm down for that. Yeah, and it's um, Martha and Jonathan instead of whatever they're in. Yeah. I bet that when they were making this movie and they had Diane Lane and Kevin Costner in the running, if there was any producer or executive or even just like a, a runner or an assistant that went, do you think anyone's going to point out the fact that these were the parents from Superman and the, the exec or the big upper tops were like, no, no one's going to. No one's going to care about that. It's a small, like, independent, real family-driven yeah. movie. And then they put the trailer up and all the comments on the internet are going, I had no idea that Superman's parents were so badass. And, yeah, yeah. it might end up being, like, a, a really hilarious misfire by by Hollywood. Um, but anyway, no, I think it's going... A, yeah. So. yeah, it's a nice, a nice sidetrack, yeah. Um, so that brings us on to the final episode, which we've discussed a fair amount already. The conclusion of season two, the rescue, they found out where the the Moff Gideon from Breaking Bad. They found out where he's keeping uh, Baby Yoda. They know they he's gonna do something evil to him. That's for sure. We don't know what it is, but we're gonna get onto that ship and they're gonna get that Baby Yoda and get him out of there. And we get that cool moment at the end of um, episode 15 where the on the holographic terminal the Mandalorian turns up and repeats the intimidating speech 
that um, Breaking Bad guy gave last season of uh, you think you know what you have, but you don't. And uh, it means more to me than you can possibly imagine. Like, yeah, yeah. He, do, he basically does the Liam Neeson speech from Taken. I will yes, find you and, and, I, and I will kill you. Yeah, it's a great moment as well because when it was given by the villain in the last season, it was a cold, calculating, you have something that I want. I think that's how he even starts it. Isn't it? You have something that I want and I am going to get it from you. Right, this is this isn't a negotiation. I'm going to get it. Whereas when the Mandalorian says it now, we feel the full weight of his emotion behind it. Right, it is a father who has lost his child, and he is going to get it back. And it is that Liam Neeson, as you say, that that like you will give me the baby, you will give me what I love, or I will kill you to to get it back. And that even that speech is just full of emotion and you can see it on um i can't remember the actor's name giancarlo esposito yes yeah you could see it on his face where he's just like it, there's a it's... bit in the back of his head that's like ah he's a bit worried right like <laughs> yeah yeah i may have fucked up here um he doesn't he's not a full like oh my god it's just like a mm, maybe like mi- minor miscalculation yeah yeah well i think the the speech is is uh, augmented and and it benefits from the whole episode previous where Mando is going and gathering his team finding all these people that you know he didn't maybe think he would ever see or work with again especially not work with again but he needs them all in order to complete this mission and he has been a solo adventurer for so long a complete loner and it's a, it's a complete turn on his on his um his lifestyle and on his um on his methods that he'll go and gather a whole bunch of people to, to help him because now it doesn't matter what he, um, you know, it doesn't matter what he was before. What matters is what he's become because of his relationship with the child. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, we get the whole sequence where they, they do whatever it takes to get onto the ship. I like the Doctor character in this as well who's like the, the Imperial clone doctor from the first episode of the whole the whole show. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's been tasked with doing what needs to be done to the child to get his, his M count, I guess. Um, but he does care for the child in a way that the other Imperials don't. The other Imperials just want his DNA. But this doctor seems to... Maybe he's not unwilling... As a scientist, like, this is his field, and he wants to work in his field and do his best work. But he sees Baby Yoda as something more than just, you know, a lab rat, I guess. Yeah, you don't get the um, sense it... that he's proper evil, like... Because we see him alongside Werner Herzog in episode one, um, mm. and who's clearly very sinister. And the other guy just feels like a bit more of a snivelling kind of... Yeah, I'm just here to do the science. Mm. Kind kind of guy, yeah. yeah. And I guess yeah. he has also the the um the Mandalorian chose not to kill him when he took um the child yes. back from him. So maybe there's a little bit of he showed me mercy. Yeah. So I, he, I, yeah, now he says they they wanted to kill the baby, right? I I'm protecting. He said he also says in that in episode three where he rescues the baby, the the scientist guy says don't hurt him 
because he thinks the Mandalorian's there to kill the baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the scientist guy goes, don't hurt him, he's just a child, it's just a child, like that. And then in this episode, the the group have just hijacked him and stolen him. Um, They basically are like, you know, we're going to interrogate you now. And we're going to get the information that we need from you. And the doctor's essentially like, you don't even have to interrogate. I'll just tell you. The the baby's there. The dark trooper's there. The bridge is there. Just be careful. Do this and you're, you know. Yeah, like, fun. he's full. Yeah, he wants to rescue the baby and get them, you know, get it out of harm's way. Um, it's a really interesting character that I wish they could have explored more. Because I want to know more about this doctor. Yeah, well, I think if we go, if there is a season three, he should be a character that that continues. Because yeah, there's a lot mm. lot going on there. And because I, I don't know if we said this before we start recording, but I think you said you wouldn't mind if this ended. You wouldn't mind if this was the last we ever saw the Mandalorian. And I wouldn't either, just because there's always that little um, worry that if they, if whoever makes TV shows stumbles onto something really good that they overdo it and then they run out of ideas and, you know, it, it loses some of its its strengths and some of its heart. But, yeah, I think there's an awful lot still to explore after within this, the world of the, the show, after this episode finishes. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the reason that the show does, um, does feel like a conclusion to the whole of the, you know, the, of the Mandalorian is that, uh, that moment where you know Luke Skywalker turns up, saves them all, um, and Grogu is ready to go. Right, the, the X-wing pulls in, and Grogu is like looking at the cameras, watching Luke Skywalker come up. And while everybody else on the ship is like, "Who is that?" Grogu's like, "Hey, it's that guy." Yeah, I recognize this. I, whatever this yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, and there is a clear connection again between the puppet. And somebody on the other side of a CCTV camera. Yeah. Right? Like, that's good filmmaking to be able to feel that connection so between you, them. So did, it, you get think... the, did you get the sense that he knew who Luke Skywalker was from his training? Or did you get the sense he just felt that it was a force person and a good... Someone who was, con- who was coming for him? I get you could... If I was going to be a real arsy film person, you'd be like, well, he spoke to Luke Skywalker when he was on Tython in that big bubble thing. So they'd already been... But the show doesn't say that, so I'm not taking that as an excuse, right? Unless the show tells me, I'm I'm not accepting it. But what I do believe is that when he sees Luke Skywalker, even if they're not communicating, there is an understanding of intent, within that person the same way that if like Darth Vader had landed he would have looked through the CCTV cameras a Darth Vader doing the same thing like killing the droids you know whatever but would have been terrified by it because he can feel the intent behind the person yeah yeah he knows that you know yeah he can feel that Luke Skywalker is there to um, to rescue them to protect him Um, and I think yeah there is an element of them being um, pulled pulled together so we get that really great emotional moment at the end where um, uh, Luke Skywalker says, uh, he's asking for your permission to the Mandalorian. He says, Grogu is asking for your permission to come and be a Jedi, which is, I think, such a great, great moment because they finally found the Jedi. You know, it's the end of that journey but Grogu 
doesn't want to leave unless his dad says it's okay. It's like, can I go to my friend's house? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, can I? Because he sees Luke Skywalker coming and is like, fuck yeah. Right? He's loving it. But his desire to go and be a Jedi is not as strong. If the Mandalorian had said no, he would have stayed with his dad. Right? Like, he needed there to be this acceptance and, you know, permission given. Like, um, like getting your field trip permission slip signed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and the yeah. signature was getting to touch him on the face. Yeah, the Mandalorian takes his mask off, and this is the first time Grogu's ever seen his face. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a real nice that moment. Like the the like Mando was was of course wanted him to go for his own sake, but it was hard for him to say goodbye. But he wasn't going to mm. do it without saying it properly. Yeah. And yeah, we get the he the touches his uh, touches his face, and they finally get that moment to look each other in the eye. And this is what I was what I was saying earlier on about why it's such a perfect completion of his story arc, because he doesn't just take his ma- his helmet off in front of Grogu like alone on the ship. Luke Skywalker's there. The other Mandalorians are there. Um, Cara Dune, you know, Gina Carano is there. Ming-Na Wen is there. And he takes his helmet off in front of everybody. Mm. Um, every, everyone sees what he looks like. And he doesn't hesitate to do it. Uh, this, these rules that have governed his life of, you know, no one can see my face. Uh, his son is more important. That, that final moment with his son is more important than, you know, all of these other five people seeing him. And in yeah. the previous episode, he he even took his mask off to even find where the sun was yeah. as well. In front of a bunch of Imperials. Yeah. But then Bill Burr does him a favour by shooting by that. By killing them all. That officer, yeah. And then they yeah. just murder everyone. So there's no witnesses to it anyway. But Yeah, yeah. But no, I think that is a, a great conclusion. And I yeah. would be very happy if, if the show The Mandalorian finished there and then the character turns up in other things like they do the ahsoka show and you know yeah it feels like i feel like the season one and two of mandalorian is the 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 chronicles of the child yes and and the protagonist is the mandalorian but really the story is about the child and getting him from the empire to the jedi Mm. that's what these two series is about and if we're going to talk briefly about the sting at the end of the credits which i presume you watched yeah um, yeah where Boba Fett shows up at Jabba's palace and Bib Fortuna is sat on Jabba's throne being looking all fat and him and Ming-Na Wen shoot everyone, free the slaves and then to sit on their throne and be like, cool, this is ours now. And then it, yeah, the yeah. titles come up on the screen, the book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. So mm-hmm. if, as we were saying, there's plenty more to explore with a lot of the characters in that appear in The Mandalorian... Maybe if you if they do want to continue exploring these characters, they will move away from the Mandalorian being the prime character and give the protagonist role to Boba Fett. And like you say, maybe the Mandalorian will keep popping up, but we will it will still be a continuation of where we left the Mandalorian. Or they'll both run, there'll be two shows that run simultaneously. Who knows? Yeah, see, that's what I that's what I want to avoid because. Uh, the other day, last week, I guess, they, they did a big announcement of all of the upcoming Marvel and Star Wars properties that they're putting out. And there's so many. And yeah, I looked at it and thought, ah, oh, fuck. Right? I didn't look at it and think, oh, great, I can't wait for these. I looked at it and was, and 
I've, my heart sank a little bit because I don't want to see a Boba Fett TV show. No. Like, like that, There's that something Boba Fett about... TV show that, we, that we'd always wanted like 10 years ago was The Mandalorian and they've done it. Yeah. Right. Done but it well. now, like, it, yeah, it would have been special if it had been done ten years ago. But when you announce a slate of here's our one hundred TV shows for the next ten years, uh, unless they are all limited series, I'm I'm not interested. Right. And the over again, it's not an over. Well, it is an oversaturation. But Star Wars was important to us because of the moment it arrived in our lives. And when the prequel movies appeared, it was, uh, here is something new that you haven't experienced before, and then look at what there was in your parents' generation as well. And that's another father-son moment between the Star Wars movies, is those of us who grew up with the prequels being able to look back with our parents and enjoy the things that they had growing up, which was the original Star Wars movies. But if you constantly release Star Wars content, the magic of Star Wars is diluted because you're going to end up with J.J. Abrams shit. I know you don't think it's shit, but it is. And then you also end, you also end, up, you also end up with just like constant content, which it's not just the quality is bad, but there's so much of it, you can't, there's, there's no magic to it. Yeah, and I think that was the main um, naysaying that came out when Disney bought the property from, mm. from George Lucas. It's just that, mm. oh great, now we are just going to get constant barrage of stuff. And even if, let's, let's imagine that all of these series, the Rogue Squadron thing and the, something else with Diego Luna in it, I think. And I didn't, I didn't look at it all, but I'm, I'm with you. I was not excited by all of this property. Even if it's all as good as The Mandalorian, it won't be as exciting it won't be as interesting it's not because special it's not special because it's just it's everywhere and the you could yeah even if the quality is good i think time is really important mm. and i i take your point about the diff the generational gap between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy is that we had to wait nearly 20 years and that's what made it special and that's what brought it to a whole new audience and we can look back at it now and go, the prequels weren't that great. But when the prequels came out, I was all over that. I yeah. I loved uh, Phantom Menace when that came out, when I was like yeah. 12 years old. And it's only as an adult that you can break it down critically and say, well, they're not great movies or whatever, but they were event movies. Yeah, and they were important to me as a kid. Yeah. right. They were, the movies were important to me. And now I look at them and go, oh, well, the quality wasn't that high. And that's, you know, the, the movies aren't great, the prequels, um, in many ways. But if there had been a Star Wars movie every year, the amount of joy that I would have gotten out of it would have just been, oh, there's another Star Wars movie. Like, how many times did I re-watch those VHS tapes and those DVDs and everything? And if there's a new one, you know, uh, you can't revisit it all you can't recapture that you know you can't contain that magic if you know, yeah it's the same with with disney movies and and stuff anyway mm. but it's just like with the with the new trilogy it was the same it's like we had 20 years between the original and the prequels and now another yeah. best part of 20 years before the next trilogy like that's a good amount of time to leave it and the only mm -hmm. thing that maybe has um 
as blunted the impact of the new trilogy in terms of excitement was the fact that we had all this stuff in between. Um, not as much, and there's going to be so much more from this point on, but it was, it did feel like the right time to introduce to a new, gen- a whole new generation, and it did. Like when Force, Force Awakens yeah. came out, you had little kids running around in Finn and Ray costumes, and now when they get slightly older, they'll go back and watch the older ones, and maybe even more young people are going to go back and watch the Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia movies and find the magic in them too. So there's, there's some, there is something great in that, but now we've come too far and there's no way we can recapture that because like you say every year we're going to have multiple new series multiple movies and the 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 property is just going to get sucked dry until it's what we it's what we were saying the other day when uh when our friend said oh are you excited for the falcon winter soldier tv show and i was like absolutely not no right it looks it looks fine um i guess but i've seen those characters and I don't need to see more of those characters, right? There's not yeah, that's the thing. There's not Wand, enough. One division I'm interested in because yeah. it's doing something completely different, yeah. right? And that's interesting because it looks like art, right? They've taken these mass consumer consumerist, you know, most valuable property in history, and then gone. What weird art shit can we do with it? And they're creating something, you know, special and yeah. unique. But they probably Whereas... have to go for safe releases like Falcon and the Winter Soldier mm. and Loki alongside them. Otherwise, they yeah. would never put out WandaVision because they can't bank on everyone's excitement about seeing yeah. uh, MCU characters in limited series and make it a weird arty thing. They have to throw out yeah. the, the base. You've got your action show and you've got your um, magical Asgardy show along to go out alongside them just for the yeah. the popcorn masses yeah anyway we've gone so far off topic right now no i thought oh yeah i mean this is our chance to talk about it we're not we're not going to revisit um revisit this particular thing for a while i guess um our, our final i think this will be a short one our final uh question that we always ask do you see any element of you and your father within the mandalorian and groku <laughs> I have to, I've got to conf- I have to confess something. Mm-hmm. I don't f- buy the. This doesn't affect me in any father in some way whatsoever. The Mandalorian. What, the whole show. The whole show. Not I even don't... the finale. No, and my girlfriend cried. My girlfriend That's has never seen. She has a heart. No, it's because she had a glass of wine. Ah, um... <laughs> it's the same thing. A glass of wine makes anything into Schindler's List for her. Um... <laughs> But no, like it's no, I just it doesn't it doesn't speak to me, and I don't think it's because I just can't see any reflection of my own father son relationships or maybe how I imagine myself as a father or anything like that that we've touched on in the past. I just no no at no point in the throughout the two series did I see Mando as the father and Grogu as a son mm. i did it doesn't. It to me, it's always it remains a um, a a, mas- a masculine loner hero defending a vulnerable creature. Really, end of the day, it could have been it could have been a a man and a dog. It could have been, you know, a man and a I don't know, just any anyone less capable than him that needed protecting, who was special. It could have been the Mandalorian and. Baby Harry Potter. I've bought a Harry Potter <laughs> twice today. I'm I'm sorry. I do like oh, Harry Potter. No. 
I know maybe that turns a lot of people off, but um, so the best, the closest I can get to it, a, a, an emotional response to the Mando Grogu relationship is that if I think about it, as Bill Burr said, as him and his pet, mm-hmm. and the way, and I think that is that has a lot to say to say. Uh, sorry, that has a lot to do with my, me personally because when I see Mando interacting with Grogu, the closest that I can reflect on in my own life is me talking to my dogs and and the way he talks to uh, Grogu is, is how I talk to my pets and it's not how it's not how I imagine a father talks much to a son and I, I, I'm trying to remove the fact that it's a baby Yoda it's a it's an alien creature that doesn't look human or humanoid even and it looks like a little fuzzy creature which does look like a pet but but no it didn't it didn't touch me it wasn't a daddy issues thing for me at all but it definitely i definitely thought it was worth exploring in that in that respect mm. yeah i think that's an that's an interesting point um i'm hoping you can save the save the podcast by uh, <laughs> by going no it is a daddy issues and here's why <laughs> It's difficult to say because the entire emotional core behind the show hinges on Baby Yoda being vulnerable. And if Baby Yoda isn't vulnerable, then we it can't pull on your heartstrings in the same way. Um, I do like their relationship a lot. I think the seasons suffer from too many of those uh, winding mid-season episodes like we've discussed before, where they take too much time to go and get somebody off a prison ship um, rather than focusing on the core heart of the story, which is him and Baby Yoda. When they have those episodes that really zoom in on their relationship, then I think it works. It really works. Um, I think a good example of that is when he, as we mentioned earlier, when he does turn up to somebody and goes, they have the kid. We understand instantly when everybody else goes, all right, I'm in. Right? Because we understand that everybody else it buys into their relationship too. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. You don't? I think every time every time he goes to see Gina Carano and he's like they they've got the kid or it's for the kid or something and everyone just like drops drops whatever they're doing and is like okay the kid's the most important thing. Yeah, right that now. that yeah, I, I agree buy, with. I buy that every time. I I buy that they think the kid's the most important thing, but if if they cared that the Mando cares, then they'd have to care about Mando. And I don't think any of them care enough about the Mandalorian to go, oh, I like you, so if you like this kid, I'm going to help. I think that all of these sub-characters recognise how important the kid is. Mm-hmm. And that's why they get involved. And so if a random stranger came up and went, hey, I'm friends with that Mandalorian guy, but he died. But anyway, the kid has still been taken by Moff Gideon and I need to help to get him. I think they all would have done the same thing. And gone, oh, man, I liked... The Mando was a cool guy, and but the, really the most important thing is the kids in the hands of people that you shouldn't be in the hands of, and we're all in trouble. So yeah, 
and we'd rather or at least we want to get one up on on this new empire or in the case of Bo-Katan Moff Gideon you say oh he's got something I want okay I'm in and you know that's a whole subplot we didn't really get into but Mm -hmm. um, yeah no I I don't think people get involved in it because they care about a father-son bond between these two people I think they get into it because of all those other reasons Hmm. okay you heartless bastard (laughs) I am and I'm I'm shocked that having brought up that I think that their relationship is more like a man and his dog yeah, <laughs> I don't th- then find that more emotional because that would usually slay me, theoretically. <laughs> well, but... go away and think about it, and then when we finally get to doggy issues in the yeah. future, we'll bring we'll bring the Mandalorian back and uh, <laughs> and, and see. It. We'll, we'll rediscuss it from the perspective yeah. of a man and his dog. But it's, uh, one um, last thing, actually, when you mentioned the fact that we have to buy that the that uh, the kid is vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, that's I think that's a really good point because. We only see him use his force powers to save the day once, mm-hmm. and it all it, it leaves us enough with enough um, potential to throughout the throughout the two seasons to go. Every time that the Mando and the kid are in trouble, he maybe the kid is going to do the thing that's going to save them, mm. and every time and I'm always thinking that, and it never actually happens because and the, we do get a glimpse of him using his powers, and he finds it very exhausting. Um, so. He is vulnerable. If every other episode, it's it's the kid forcing something to not no longer be a threat, then we wouldn't be so invested in Mando getting him back. Because I am. Mm. I want Mando to get him back because I understand that Mando cares. But not... Yeah. There's, it just didn't touch me. I just enjoyed it for the ride and the, the universe that it's in. Hmm. Okay. Oh, sorry, Dom. I didn't mean to upset you. No. I know no, you've been really fine. excited about this for such a long time. Now, do you know and... what? You've done it at last. I've done what? You've man of steeled it. <laughs> I've man of steeled you. <laughs> you've got one back. Sweet. I guess what's that? <laughs> Three to one? <laughs> <laughs> well, just you wait till we talk about Force Awakens because it's coming. Don't oh, you worry. Shit. Oh. oh, I have one more thing. Go on then. Interesting. I find it interesting that they made The Mandalorian to be a father-son story in a universe that already has one of the most famous father-son stories of all time. Um, but this, it's it takes it the other way. Whereas a lot of the fathers that appear in Star Wars or parents generally are either absent or they're failures. Or like with, with um, Kylo Ren and Harrison Ford, very fractured, a lot of failure and guilt on both sides and obviously you've got Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker you've got even um, uh, Jin from Quite Rogue Gone One Jin. and oh, yeah. not yeah. Qui-Gon Jin Jin uh, yeah, why do they Jin. call her Jin when Jin Erso Jin Erso yeah and, and Hannibal Lecter from yeah. Rogue One um, so there's an awful lot of parental stuff in Star Wars so I suppose making the Mandalorian that kind of story is almost fitting for for the world we live in and it's nice to have a one that actually is very positive and um you know good as opposed to isn't it sad that he was my dad or isn't it shitty that here here i am on a moisture farm on on tatooine instead of etc etc yes i think that that need for each movie to have something like that speaks to one of the fallacies 
that people hold about Star Wars. There's kind of an infamous Carrie Fisher quote where she's talking about The Last Jedi. And she says, um, uh, it's all about family and that's what makes it so special, right? And that's the ultimate fallacy of Star Wars in general, is that people consider it to be a family story. And because Star Wars is a family story, each iteration of it has to have a familial relationship in some way. And Star Wars is not a family story. It's become that because they insist on having it in there. But this is something I think that we should revisit. This is my, um, my little teaser for when we do the original trilogy with Luke Skywalker and, and Darth Vader. And we do like a daddy issues of the, all three movies. The family relationship in the original Star Wars movies is shit. That's all I'm going to say. Drop the mic. Oh, Drop come mic. back, come That's, back in the future. Then come to back find to when we do that episode. Dom, what Dom really thinks. What's he gonna say? It's it's some kind of hot take. It's a hot take. Ooh. Air quotes. Hot take. Dom the thinks this is like clickbait. Dom says Star Wars <laughs> is shit. Click here to find out why. No, 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 no. Dom says that the family themes running through the best Star Wars movies are the worst. Uh, the worst themes of of all of it. And I mean, that's a better thesis, but it's worse clickbait. No one's going to click on that. Okay, no, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Okay. Yes, they suck. They all suck. Especially oh. Empire Strikes Back is the worst. Oh, no, he didn't, nay. The Last Jedi was better than The Empire Strikes Back. There we go. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, now you're just being silly. Come on, no one's going to believe that. Okay, sorry. Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think I was going to do a little bit of explaining, but I think I might leave it. No, leave it. And leave then, it. Dangle. Yeah. Okay. Oh, dangle those future threads. Thank you very much for listening. What are we going to talk about next week? Do you have any ideas? I don't know, man. Because if we can't, we can't record next week. It's Boxing Day next week. Oh well, we'll just have to record before then. I guess. Before or after? Yeah. Yes. I've got okay. some ideas. I'll chuck them at you off. All off right. Pop. Chuck. Chuck them. Chuck out. <laughs> That was him chucking an idea. It hit him on the head. I'm, I'm very witty. I don't know if you knew. I know you bro- you bruise easy, so I'm going to be seeing that come up very shortly. I'm sure. <laughs> this is true. Well, thank you very much for listening. And uh, if you have any thoughts about The Mandalorian, uh, or if you're really excited to see what I think that uh, Empire Strikes Back is the worst Star Wars movie... <laughs> I don't. That's not true. That's the clickbait. It's the clickbait title. The, the, the sub- See ya. Um, then, yeah, join us next time. Let us know below uh, what your thoughts are, and we'll see you later. <laughs>